Startups join Techstars with aspirations, goals, and a vision for what they want to achieve. Fast forward three months, and Demo Day is a chance for these companies to showcase their growth and future plans. But have you ever wondered what happens behind the scenes when faced with the task of condensing all that progress into a two-minute pitch? I'm Jag Singh. I'm a serial founder and entrepreneur turned investor, and I'm also the managing director of Techstars Berlin. Welcome to The Lead Up, where we'll speak with one company from the current Techstars Berlin cohort in each episode. We'll find out what really goes through these founders' minds at each stage of building a business in an accelerator while preparing for the big reveal to investors and the community. I also have Umara Javid, an associate from our accelerator program, helping me here with the interview. Hi, I'm Amara. Friends call me Tinks, and I'm a former associate of Textiles London and currently a senior associate at Textiles Berlin. Today, we're speaking with the founders of UK-based Sorcery. They help developers and teams write beautiful, clear code all the time through real-time refactoring. I'm joined by Tim, Nick, and Brendan. Brendan, why don't you hit the audience with your elevator pitch? I've been a software developer for 14 years, and over that time, I've come to realize how crucial code quality really is. I hate dealing with poor quality code. The bugs, the difficulty of developing new features, the incessant moaning of fellow developers. On the other hand, working with high-quality codes is a dream. Everything is so much easier, and it allows me and other developers to unleash our creativity. I used to think it was only the company that I worked with that had poor quality code, but actually it's almost every company in the world that can suffer from this problem. And it costs companies billions of hours and hundreds of billions of dollars every single year. That's why we built Sorcery. So everyone can write beautiful code all of the time. Sorcery is the first ever product to instantly refactor code. And it acts as a pair programmer, continuously suggesting improvements in the developer's coding tool of choice. Think of it like the Grammarly for code. We're a team of three right now, and I've got Nick and Tim with me. I'm Nick. So I've actually been friends with Brendan for 14 years and a software engineer for 15 years. I spent five of them also in academia doing machine learning research. So my main job at Sorcery is basically writing the code to make the magic happen. Hey, I'm Tim. i am spent most of my career at early stage startups, first in New York and then more recently on this side of the Atlantic. I'm focused on everything on the commercial side of the business here at Sorcery. So that's ranging from talking to customers, customer support, to growth, sales and marketing and really everything in between. Dialing it back almost half a year, you get this call from Jag saying that you've been accepted into the Techstars Berlin program. What were your sort of feelings, expectations, your fears? What did you want to achieve? We were not expecting to get in at the start of the application process. See, Brendan, this is where you and I are just like very different people because I am a blind optimist. And so I think even when we were at like the first stage of the application process, I was like, oh yeah, we're we're getting in. But I think by the time we had gone through the interview process, something like eight interviews in a week or something like that, which mentor madness made seem like nothing later on. But once we got through that interview process, I think all of us were really excited to do it. And we hit a point where it was a... Jag, if you make this offer to us, there is no question in our minds. We are accepting on the spot. What was the motivation to apply in the first place? We had been doing sorcery in a complete black hole for the whole time. We had no peers, we had no mentoring, we had no guidance. And we knew that if we could get into Techstars, we would get all the help that we needed, both financially, but more importantly, actually give us some direction, which we were sorely lacking. 
as soon as the offer came in, we were like, yes, definitely, that's what we need. And the other part of it was Textiles has got a group of 10, and because we had no peers, we had no one to discuss our problems with. And so building a friendship group of other startups was one of our chief goals of getting in. So it's one part of Textiles I hadn't really appreciated going in uh, was the massive benefit of going through as a cohort. Uh, so it's been really great seeing how other founders tackle things. And we've definitely bonded over shared struggles and experiences. And in particular, we've had this CTO roundtable every week, which has been just really helpful. For our listeners out there who may not be familiar, the Techstars Accelerator program is three months long. And Mentor Madness happens in the first couple of weeks. Each company meets with nearly 100 mentors in that two-week period. They meet 10 mentors daily in back-to-back sessions, and so calling it intense would be an understatement. As a stress test, and to help the founders prepare for those meetings, we run mock mentor sessions with alumni and friendly mentors who give feedback to them in near real time. Brennan, how did that process work for you as a founder and as a team and as a company? Yes, a big, a big part, a big memory of it was prior to the Mental Madness where we did a mock Mental Madness. And I was very much just reading my pitch with low energy, with no excitement, and the pitch itself wasn't very interesting either. Luckily, we had this mock Mental Madness and I got some great advice. Firstly, bring the emotion to it. Bring my excitement about sorcery. And for every sentence that I say, ask the question, who cares? Why, do I, why does this person actually care about it? So we connected the whole pitch to the emotion of this is why sorcery is amazing. This is the feeling of the developer that's using sorcery. And due to that, we were able to completely turn it around in our pitches in Mental Madness and actually get the mentors excited about what we were building. And once we had that connection with them, it was complete. It was brilliant. We got loads of feedback. A huge piece of feedback that we got repeatedly was focus, focus on what we were doing. Prior to that, we had been trying to do everything at once, sales, growth, a team product, a developer product, GitHub integration, loads and loads of different things. Focus on a single target market. So we're focusing now on Python developers who are professionals who work in VS Code or PyCharm. And then the second piece of advice was start with the milestones that we want to hit and work backwards. Work out where we want to be in three months or six months and work out the path there and use that to decide what to do next. And finally, another piece of advice was do a product market fit survey. Tim took this on and did an amazing job. Tim, what does Brendan mean when he talks about a a product market fit survey? Maybe you can enlighten the audience on what it is and, and then how you've done it. The first chats we had with one of the mentors was talking about how Superhuman as a company approached looking to understand whether or not they had product market fit. And they have a great approach to it, which is basically they look at a survey, super simple. A couple of questions really looking at if your product no longer existed, would you as a user be very disappointed, somewhat disappointed, or not disappointed at all? And then you get a couple of additional questions to understand who that person is. But at a core, it's looking to see what percentage of your users would be very disappointed if you no longer had that product. And the threshold that they set is a 40% target for your core user base. That means if you're hitting that 40%, you're in a very good place for product market fit. You're in a point where people are going to be willing to pay in all likelihood for your product. 
And so when we started out Techstars, one of the first things we wanted to do was understand where are we at? What was that benchmark for how much progress we've made towards product market fit? So I took probably a couple hundred of our users, sent them that very simple survey to figure out how valuable a source are to them right now? How close are we to having product market fit? And for which group of our users is this most important? And I think we were all pleasantly surprised, to say the least, with what the outcomes were of that survey. We were at a point where amongst professional Python developers, we probably had 37% of them said they would be very disappointed if they could no longer use it. And we learned a lot about what would it take to get them to be you know, even more disappointed and what did we have to do next? And that shaped a lot of our roadmap as we think not just about what we've done during Techstars, but what are we doing for the next three months? So I want to bring Nick in as CTO. As someone who's been a CTO myself a long time ago, I've always felt that accelerator programs sometimes don't do enough. To, and, and that's why this year I actually spent a considerable amount of time and energy in to developing a whole strand of programming just for the technical teams and, and technical managers and, and leaders, but also bringing in experienced CTOs to come mentor the CTOs in our program. What was that mentor madness process like for you, both the regular mentor madness, but then also the technical mentor madness? It turned out to be really great, actually. So regular mentor madness gave us all this enormous massive feedback there was the technical mental madness and talking to people who've been through it before that was so useful great piece of advice we got during that was as a startup you got to do things that don't scale that get you to the place where you're ready to scale so for us that's meant me and brendan getting out there and really talking to developers and our two main drivers of users recently have been writing lots of content ourselves and discussing it on reddit which has been a great place uh, and appearing on python podcasts so I guess we're podcast pros now. Yeah, so our podcasts so far have been with three of the most popular Python-targeted podcasts. One has had 50,000 listeners, all Python developers, and I think the other two had about 10,000 listeners as well. And we just talked about code quality for an hour or Python programming and how sorcery helps it for an hour. And we had all of those listeners. And in the weeks following those podcasts being published, we just saw a huge influx of new users. So we're just targeting Python developers as much as we can at the moment. Nick, you've been juggling the Techstars Accelerator program while having two young kids at home in this pandemic with schools closed. I don't think it's been an easy ride for anyone with kids building a startup, let alone building a startup in a high-pressure cooker sort of environment like an accelerator. What's your take on that, and how did your team make that work? No, it's definitely been been difficult. And I guess we've seen that you as well, Jag, have been appearing with your, your baby quite often. So because school was shut for a lot of the program, and my wife and I both work, we're often swapping around pretty quickly after Zoom calls, like rushing here and there. I'm sure my toddler popped up on, on it more than once. So it's meant like really strict and focused about time, basically, to ensure I've been able to set aside time for work and set aside time for family. The reason we've been able to do it successfully is because Nick's been really communicative about what is his schedule going to be like and, and been really, I think that's been the biggest thing that's allowed us to help, uh, hopefully at least help him navigate this period is he's been very clear of, hey, these are the times I can work and let's schedule everything we need to collaborate on in these times. And then outside of it, here are times I'm not going to be available. Don't expect me to be able to respond during these times or anything. And it's just like having that clear expectation makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah, it's spent a lot of time like at the playground tapping away on my phone. That's just what you have to do nowadays. So Brendan, there's an eight or nine week period between Mentor Madness and Demo Day at the end of the program, where I often advise founders to work backwards from whatever they'd like to announce or show off at Demo Day. How did you position Sorcery to achieve your goals? So we came up with our plan for the next six months, and we just started to implement it straight away. One of the things that we really focused on was building growth within the company. 
building our number of users and actually understanding our users as well. So there were two sides to that. Tim can talk a lot about the growth side. In terms of understanding our users, we started to gather a whole load of product metrics. We spoke to our mentors loads about how to do this, and now we have a much better understanding of what they're doing in Sorcery, how they're using it, how many active users we have, how many refactorings they're getting per week. And from that, we can now use that to build the products going forwards. We know exactly what things that they want and how they're using it, so we know what we need to build more of. Tim, Brendan just talked about building out the product. At the same time, you're a company, you're a business. How did you and and your co-founders think about building the business side out? Yes, this was something we actually had a whole lot of debate and discussion about the right approach for during and after Mentor Madness. I think at a high level, there were probably two approaches we could have taken. We could have gone a traditional top-down B2B sales approach, targeted enterprises, tried to sell into them, or we could have gone bottoms up and gone to developers first, get it adopted by developers and push it into companies. And this is where Mentor Madness was, again, just so valuable to us because we were able to talk to people who thought about and built and focused on developer tools before and realized the right path forward is really to go bottoms up. It is to approach first for a couple of different reasons too. The On one side, it's developers are, and sorry, Brendan and Nick, I feel like I might be putting developers in a bad light here, but developers are, they're skeptical at a core and they don't necessarily like being forced to adopt any new tech. And so we've we realized if you go tops down, that runs a risk. But another risk there is you, we didn't want to become too dependent on any single client early on. So we didn't want to just go to an enterprise sale and get locked in there. And so we realized that probably the best approach for us was to focus on developer growth, was to go a longer term bottoms up approach, and then start being able to get more and more developers bring sorcery into their company because they're loving it. So actually one awesome coincidence happened in the middle of the program. An engineering lead at HelloFresh got in touch to sign up for a team license for sorcery. Now is it exactly the same time as we're about to meet their CTO as one of the Techstars technical mentors? So that kind of really put that conversation on a brilliant footing going in. Their developers started using it first and they realized the value, they realized the value to their team and that's led to some of these team sales. This feels like a tried and tested go-to-market strategy, especially considering Twilio, SendGrid, many Techstars portfolio companies pioneered some of these techniques. And I recall from a conversation with one of the SendGrid founders years ago that they had this big debate about potentially going open source. Did, did you have a similar debate? Yeah, we had a, probably one of the biggest debates we had during the Mentor Madness and post-Mentor Madness period was should we open source some or all of sorcery? One of our mentors really thought that was the right path forward. I think to some extent, he probably still thinks it's a, a path we should be thinking about. But at the end of the day, we looked at a lot of the pros and cons. We were able to also get some huge benefit out of the Techstars network. We were able to go and talk to a couple of founders who've gone down the open source route, figure out what are the risks of it. And at the end of the day, I think that was something we're really internally we realized that there, there is a, even though you can get some of the network effects out of things as you get people building out an open source product, there's a huge risk that you're never going to be able to convince people to actually pay for a fully open source tool. And that was a risk that I think we really just couldn't take. It, it wasn't going to drive the, or it would be riskier to try and drive some of the long-term revenue growth that we want to achieve from sorcery. And there's another aspect of it, which is, Sorcery at the moment is cutting edge technology, and that's a huge part of our competitive advantage that no one can do what we can do. So if we open source it, people understand exactly what we've built and can not duplicate our code, but duplicate the actual functionality. 
So we want to give ourselves a bit more time, at least, before we have another second look at that decision. It's possibly something we'll revisit in the future, but for now that is a huge advantage of keeping it closed source. So the other aspect of it is that we've got a subscription-based model, and once something becomes open source, Tim was saying, it's a lot harder to potentially charge for it. We've already proven our assumptions around selling this as a subscription model. We've got individual developers who are paying for a pro tier, and we've got teams paying for licenses for their developers. So changing that model at this stage and going to an open source approach potentially cannibalizes that. So it doesn't make sense at this particular junction. At some point in the future, we want to build a big community around sorcery. And communities are often communities in developer products are often built around open source. So at that point, it really makes sense to revisit that decision and potentially open source. That makes sense. I, I also hope you're going to call your community sorcerers. Oh, yeah. we All of our users are sorcerers. They've all got magic powers, Jack. You folks recently launched on Product Hunt. How's that experience been? So the, the Product Hunt side of things has been honestly just awesome and has exceeded our expectations. To take a step back, we were launching on Product Hunt in early April to aid all of the growth efforts that we wanted to build up to towards Demo Day. So we had this kind of continuous momentum of growth efforts trying to push through the entire month of April. And overall, it wound up being a massive success, both for getting more exposure to sorcery, bringing on more people, but also getting some incredible feedback from our existing users too. And it's something I don't think we could have done honestly, without having the Techstars network too. We were able to get David Cohen to actually hunt us on Product Hunt, which was awesome. Um, Still surprised that wound up happening. And then we were also able to just get tons of support from our different mentors who've launched successfully on Product Hunt before and tell us, hey, here's all of the little pieces you need to put together, both in terms of your content, but even how do you think about prepping weeks before launch in terms of lining up people to make those first comments getting that momentum going. At the end of the day, we wound up becoming one of the top products of the week. We were featured twice in Product Hunt's newsletter as like the top item about you know changing the way that backend developers work. And we added more than you know a thousand new users as a part of the process and more are coming through every day. So it's really helped us hit those goals when we think about our growth targets, but also getting us a ton of feedback for how do we keep improving the product. That's fantastic. And I've actually realized there's a strong emphasis on feedback throughout the team. Like I've heard the word come up quite a lot so I was quite curious on how you process negative feedback or if someone says something that makes you think twice about what you're making I love negative feedback in the long run I think negative feedback is so helpful and it's been so helpful to us on a product level because it shows us hey what do we need to fix what do we need to improve where do we need to go but also on a personal and a team level we've gotten some awesome negative feedback from jag from each other throughout the process and i think that's helped us get into a better position as a team yeah i think as a team we process negative feedback extremely well we've got a very strong culture of reviewing everything that everyone else does and that makes sure that everything that we put out to the world is as high quality as we can possibly make it we think of high quality not just in code but just across the team the product everything that we do we love it so negative feedback is an indication that we're not delivering that high quality and yeah so we take it on board i also find it in the moment a bit hard to take negative feedback it's like an assault on my identity but Ultimately, it's, it's an ability to improve myself and 
the better I can be as a person and as a member of the team, the better we can all be as a company. And I think we all have that attitude of self-improvement and accepting the feedback if it's given in the right manner. You have a really healthy and good dynamic in the team. Could you tell us a bit more about how it's been working remotely? Uh, Yeah, it's definitely added a layer of craziness because I didn't actually meet Tim in person in real life until six months after we started working together. Nika looks a lot younger in person. We found that out out a bit later. (laughs) I think Brendan actually met him just once before we started working with him. Yeah, I met Tim once a week before lockdown happened last year and we had... A 15-minute conversation. Yeah, I was doing my MBA at the time and was helping connect startups at the time with different MBA students to help them with different areas of their business. And I wound up chatting with Brendan for yeah, probably 15 minutes and the country locked down a week later for several months. But we stayed in touch. And I think I started doing a little bit of work on the side for them. And then one thing led to another and ultimately joined the team full-time in late spring of last year. But it's been I've been surprised with how easy it's been to work remotely. Obviously there are things where it's like, ah, I wish we were in person for a whole host of reasons now and then, but like it has for us allowed us to create time where it's okay, we're meeting in these slots, these very specific slots, and we know we'll have a bunch of chats and try and cover a lot of material in that time. And then we'll have like whole days where we can just say, hey, we're just gonna focus on execution right now. I'm really glad we're talking about getting native feedback. I can actually trace a phrase to Brad Feld, who's talked about brutal honesty delivered kindly. Most people get stuck after the first two words and focus just on brutal honesty. I think that delivered kindly part is just as important. Yeah, I completely agree. I personally have fallen into the trap of delivering brutal feedback without the kindness. And we had a great session at the start of Techstars about conscious leadership that really helped us or helped me understand how to be more kind to the other person, empathize with the other person understand how they're feeling about it and I think since then we've become a lot closer as a team we and understanding the difficulties that we have allows everyone to help each other as well. Companies building developer tools sometimes struggling to articulate that there is a real business at the end of the day could you just walk us through that? Yeah so one of the one of the big challenges for us is actually showing to people that developer tools can be a real business a lot of people out there think, oh, okay, this is this cool thing that someone's using, but can it actually make money? Can it actually grow and be a real business? And so we've had to really understand the unique economics of what we're building, understanding the customer acquisition cost, the lifetime value that we're getting for them, and making sure that actually the lifetime value is going to be a lot higher than our customer acquisition cost. And we've experimented with different acquisition channels. Ultimately, the one that we want to achieve is viral growth because acquisition cost is zero. Our users are acquiring other users for us. So our goal really is a product that's so amazing that everyone wants to talk about it all the time. And then we'll have a massive business. Are there any myths about being an entrepreneur that you can debunk for us? The one I'd talk about is... People have this impression that it's a dog-eat-dog world, it's a zero-sum game, everyone's racing to outcompete each other massively. But actually, it's been so collaborative with other people in the cohort. And even talking to other dev tools teams, it's more like we just have a lovely chat. So that kind of aspect is we're not all out to kill each other. It's, we can help each other too. I think one of the things for me has been 
this expectation that, oh, we need to know everything, exactly how to do everything now and do everything perfectly right away. And this idea that, no, it's okay to actually like, go find mentors, find people who can help us, find people who've been there before and can give us advice along the way. And I think accepting that we don't know exactly what we need to do every step of the journey has made things a lot easier. Some very wise words there. Tim, Nick, and Brendan, thank you so much for coming in. And to our audience out there, thank you for listening. Don't forget, we have nine other amazing companies from Techstars Berlin sharing their experiences in this lead-up series, a part of the Techstars Podcast Network. 